Welcome to the New Mind Creator Podcast with your host, Maurice, the New Mind Creator. Today, I'll be interviewing Robert Riopel. Please make sure to hit the subscribe button so that you'll receive alerts when new episodes are available on Sundays at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Man, Robert, the first time I went camping, I was, oh, had to have been about eight, nine years old. Uh, it was fun as a kid, but then as I grew up um, and became an adult, I guess I appreciate more uh, uh, the camping with air conditioning, I guess, <laughs> <laughs> instead of being subjected to the elements uh, like the heat and all this stuff. <laughs> oh, how, how, how's your experience with camping? Well, you know, I'm, I'm going to say it's almost identical, and we call that glamping because I like my RV. And even if I'm in the backwoods where we don't have power or water, the, the RV's got everything that we need in it. And because as a kid, I didn't do a lot of camping. My dad hated it. He absolutely hated it. And when my wife and I met her family, they were always into camping. And so it's like, well, we're going camping. I'm like, well, we don't have anything. She goes, we have the back of the truck. We'll sleep in the back of the truck. We'll have everything we need. We set up um, tarps. We we have a fire. We're good. And I'm and so when we started, because my wife and I, we actually um, give a little background to your listeners. We met when we were 13. We actually started dating when we were 16, and we got married when we were 19. And actually, two days ago, as of this recording, um, we just celebrated our 32nd wedding anniversary. So my wife has taught me so much, especially around camping. So we went through the transition of sleeping in the back of the truck to then having a tent, from having a tent back to the back of the truck. From there, we ended up getting our first RV that we actually lived in for four and a half years as we were traveling around parts of uh, Canada and U.S., taking over some Domino's pizza stores and turning them around as part of our Domino's pizza franchise career. And so we love our glamping. So I'm right there with you. Yeah, yeah. put me in a tent. I, I'm too old for that stuff now. <laughs> Give me all my conveniences. I'm a happy man. <laughs> True. I, I definitely feel you on that. Um, so where, where did you grow up? Well, I am Canadian. And I grew up uh, born in British Columbia, but now and have spent most of my life in Alberta is where I live. Wow. Wow. Okay. Canada is beautiful. So um, when you were growing up, did you see what you have been able to achieve in this present time in your life? Oh, not a chance. (laughs) Oh, man, Maurice, I grew up in such a box of a life. Uh, Meaning, meaning that, you know, my parents, the, it's interesting how you're, children what you tell them to do is one thing what you model is another thing so my parents always told me they said Robert you'll be able to do whatever you want to achieve put your mind to and that was the words coming out of their mouth but what I was modeling and what I was watching is them actually doing whatever needed to be done to take care of the family meaning that whether they liked a job or not they did it and they did it with a smile on their face to take care of the family And when we were young, we moved around a lot because there wasn't a lot of work. So I never spent more than six months, maybe a year in a school. And to me, that was normal. To me, that was, this is the way things obviously are. Because if you want to work, if you want to support your family, you do what you need to do. So that's kind of the family I grew up in. It wasn't 
follow your passion, do what you love. It was do what needs to be done. When times are tough, we'll make it work. If we end up with a little extra money, we'll celebrate, we'll splurge, we'll go back to being broke and just getting by. And so a totally different life from what I have now. (laughs) Wow. You know, it's interesting because it seems like uh, that helped you seeing that because it doesn't appear that you were fearful to just go and be in an RV with your wife and turn around Domino's franchises and just do that instead of trying to be stationary in one place as you were uh, trying to amass wealth. Well, that's, that's what a lot of people don't understand is when you're growing up, our mind, and I love that your podcast is all about the new mind creation because you can train and change your mind anytime you want. And one of the things that I'm diving deep in recently is that making the change is actually easy and it's instantaneous. You can actually change your way of being and what's in your world instantly. The difficult part is the maintenance Mm-hmm. Is that, you know, why is it that people go, oh, New Year's resolution, I am going to have an amazing body. I'm going to release some weight. I'm going to be the greatest health of my life. And less than a month later, they're back to their old way of being. Mm-hmm. They felt great in the beginning because they started making decisions which changed their influence of how they're perceiving things. But then all of a sudden, the world tests you, the universe tests you to see your fortitude. Are you serious? Or is this just another whim? And it's so easy to come back into our normal way of being. So the maintenance is where it takes work um, to do that. And so kind of going back to your question, for me, I was such an in-the-box thinker that one of the things I tell my students when I'm on stage all over the world, I would not be here right now doing what I do if it wasn't for my amazing wife. Mm. You see, left up to me, Maurice, I would be comfortably miserable in a job. I would have found the job that had seemed to me have the most security and gave me the most opportunity, but I would then be miserable and but comfortable. And so that would be what I'd be willing to do. But she's not willing to allow me to live smaller than I am, to play smaller than I am, even if it means kicking me in the ass sometimes and saying, step up. And then that's a gift I give her as well. So when my wife came into my life, I had a very sheltered kind of, you know, don't think outside the box life. But then she started introducing, well, we go camping. Then she started introducing, out of necessity, I get, you know, I'm taught work hard, stay loyal to a company. That company will take care of you. And so that's what I do. And by the time I'm 21, all of a sudden, I've worked for three different companies. And where I live in Alberta, when oil prices are down, there's no work. And so out of necessity, I started delivering pizzas for Domino's Pizza. And out of necessity, when my franchisee sold a store and bought two others, I thought if I stay here, I might get laid off again. So I said, do you need a manager? You have two stores now. And I found a way to become a manager out of necessity. And then all of a sudden, a year and a half later, he decides he doesn't want to be in Dalmer's Pizza anymore. We are going, well, my wife and I are now the manager and assistant manager. New owners are going to probably fire all the staff and bring in their own team. So out of necessity, we said we want to be franchisees. I was now qualified to be one. But we didn't have money. We didn't have a way of doing it. But thank goodness, the passion in our lives that we do have, we knew this is what we want to do and we're going to make it work. But when you go back to the root of it, it was out of necessity and fear of losing our jobs that created that evolution of us to step up as franchisees. So I don't want people to believe, Maurice, that, 
oh my goodness, Robert, you just got this passionate life that you achieve, you say you want to do something, you get it done. Um, sure. But when you look at the root of why some of the decisions are and were made, it comes to that. If I don't do this, what's going to happen? What is the necessity of this? And so meaning sometimes there's short-term pain or discomfort or not liking what I'm doing to get to the goal of achieving what I, where I really want to be. And, and I hope that makes sense. Yeah, I definitely understand. Uh, you all were moving. You were constantly moving in your minds that caused the move to uh, take place in the physical. Because I was, I was uh, listening to uh, Dr. Joseph Murphy, uh, one of his recordings. I don't know if you ever heard of him, but he was talk. He gave a little illustration about um, there was a, there's a uh, two people, two men, and they both men went looking for uh, precious stone or oil. And the one man uh, went there. He didn't find anything. And the other man went and he found uh, the precious stone. And he said, where was wealth? He said it was in the mind of the man. So mm -hmm. when we have that in our minds, that dominant thing, because there could be various things in our minds, but there's a dominant theme that's going on in our mind. And he said that's where the wealth was, because we are all walking on wealth. But if it's not in our mind, we won't be able to hold on to it and uh, bring it into fruition. Just like you were talking about, um, you know, uh, in your what you were telling us. Yeah. And if you think of what Napoleon Hill said all the way back then, in the beginning of the, you know, in the 1920s is when he first wrote his first book in 1925. You know, that saying that says whatever a man's mind can conceive and believe it can achieve. And so if that's so true, then why is it that most people don't accomplish what they say they want? Well, probably to get that answer, you have to look at what Albert Einstein said, is you can't solve a problem with the same thought and mind that created it. And so <laughs> this is where, you know, if you really want to do something, sometimes you've got to get out of your own way and open up to other people's influence in helping you and guide you. Because if you're just trying to do it your way, you're going to be stuck in your programming and what you believe and what you've told yourself you can or cannot do with your limited abilities and knowledge. And so one of the greatest gifts I tell people is don't just learn something, be that forever learner, always learn, be a student. Even today, I, you know, well, pre-COVID, pre-COVID, I've traveled around the world on average 200,000 miles a year in front of live audiences for three to five days at a time, 100 mm. people at a time, 6,000 people at a time. And I'm on stage for 12 hours a day and people go, you know, you're an amazing teacher. How is that? And I say, because when I'm not on the stage, I'm a student in as many audiences as I can. Because the moment I believe I know it all, I'm done. I'm done. Mm -hmm. Wow. So you're literally uh, just giving out of your abundance, you know. So it's, it's, uh, it sounds like a flow that you're into because you're constantly consuming. So the only thing could come out of us is what goes into us. Absolutely. That's exactly it. Wow. So I know you've had, like everybody who's achieved wealth and success, there's a story behind it. There's something, <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> you just didn't wake up and you was like, oh, you know. Yeah, like, oh. 
yeah, there had to be some darkness. There had to be some trying times. And I know you had a, you know, a financial debt that was, I'm sure it was large to you in that moment. But now that you look at that amount of money, you probably, because you've expanded on the inside so much that it looks differently. But at the time it was probably like, oh, how am I going to do this? Um, and how did you, you know, get yourself out of that situation, that debt? Yeah, well, look, Maurice, that's exactly it. Like, I, I'm lit up right now because what you just asked made me think of a lot of the things from the past. And, and it was particular because no one's asked me it that way uh, and stated it how at the time the amount probably seemed so much maybe compared to now or maybe not so much. And what instantly came to my mind is here I am. My wife and I are franchisees. We've been franchisees for eight years with Domino's Pizza. And to others, they're going, oh, look, you're successful. But a lot of them didn't know we were over $150,000 in debt and going down quickly. And going to your comment about the amount, the way it, um, the way it kind of looked to us is you're so right. Because I compare that $150,000 to the fact that when we bought our first two stores, two stores, we paid $90,000 in total for two Domino's Pizza stores. So my mind was going 150000 that's more than one and a half times what we paid originally to buy our first two stores. Wow, are we in bad shape. And I don't know what other people believe, but for me, financial stress has got to be one of the worst stresses I've ever gone through because you can't sleep. You're always checking. We were playing credit card roulette. I had five credit cards and I always had to know the balance on each one because then one would pay the next one's monthly minimum so I could keep my credit rating hopefully somewhat all right. Then that one would pay the next one's minimum. That one would pay the next one's. And I was playing credit card roulette, and that's how we were living our life. But yet to the outside world, they're going, oh, you guys are Domino's Pizza franchisees. You seem to have a lot of fun. You're all over the place. And inside, we were dying mm -hmm. because of this financial stress. And I didn't believe back then because if you look at statistics, the average Domino's Pizza franchisee, when we were franchisees a whole lifetime ago, not giving away my age or anything, but <laughs> it, the age was 23. And that's how old we were when my wife and I were blessed to buy our first stores. And I look back and I go, you know, the lessons it taught us, invaluable. Glad we went through it. Would I ever do that kind of retail business again? Uh, no. <laughs> You know, with the knowledge I have now, thank you very much. If I was to ever do it, I'd do it in a totally different direction. But at that age and with, you know, the ego running rampant, it was, it was a great time in our life, but it was interesting what perception was compared to what reality was. And so here we were stressed out. And I remember my brother-in-law and this will kind of date me Maurice, is he says, you know, there's this guy named Tony Robbins. I just got in the mail, his cassette tape learning. You got to take a look at and listen to this. And I'm like, I'm not listening to that stuff. I'm not, you know, that tape isn't going in my cassette player, my vehicle, not a chance. Because I didn't believe in it. But here we are now, eight years into being franchisees. We're over $150,000 in debt. We're stressed out beyond belief. We knew we weren't enjoying Domino's Pizza anymore. And one of the things I'm definitely a big believer in, if you don't enjoy doing what you're doing, do something else. And so my wife and I are going, well, we're not enjoying Domino's. One of the reasons we're in debt is we're not spending as much time in the stores anymore. And we're busy. We're not productive, but we're busy getting burnt out, thinking we're 
um, productive. We're just busy, two totally different things. And we said, well, what are we going to do if we don't do dominoes? And our mindset, well, what do we know? We know franchises. Let's go and find out what other franchises we could do. Now, the interesting thing about that, Maurice, is we didn't have any money to buy another franchise. (laughs) But isn't it interesting where the mind went? Uh And so we walked into a franchise expo um, expo in our city, and we started looking at all the booths, picking up all the flyers, talking to the different people behind the booths of why should we do this franchise? And at the end of the day, we walked out of there more frustrated than anything going, there's nothing that's catching our attention. But I'm a big believer that everything happens for a reason. And what people know that saying, but they don't know necessarily the whole saying, which is everything happens for a reason. And that reason is there to serve me. And so when you look at the lessons that life is giving us, from us going to that expo, two weeks later, totally forgot about it. In the mail, we receive a a letter from one of the booths that we had visited. And it was mailboxes, et cetera, which is, you know, then eventually changed to UPS store. And it said, thank you for visiting our booth. Here's two tickets to an amazing evening that will change your life. And each ticket was $39 value to it. Now, thank goodness, my mind would not let me waste $39 tickets because the only reason my wife and I showed up to this event was because of the value on the ticket. That's the it. That's the only reason. Mm -hmm. And by the time we were done that evening, here we are running to the back, putting down $600, which we did not have (laughs) to pay for a three-day weekend. Because we went, if this three hours gave us this much information, what would three days with this guy do? That was in March of 2001. June of 2001 is when the three-day weekend was. And the only reason we showed up at that weekend was to get our money back. Because we went into severe buyer's remorse. We don't have that money. We're in debt. What are we thinking? What are we doing? And I showed up ready for a fight. Like, you tell me I can't get my money back. Oh, and, and, and it's on. It's on. <laughs> and the, the woman knew exactly what was going on in my head. And so she didn't, she knew what we were going through. So she didn't fight me. Instead, just being herself, one of the most amazing, nice women in the world who became a great friend, she said, look, there's nothing I can do right now. But why don't you come in and by lunchtime, I'll have answers for you. Mm-hmm. And we're like, fine, if we have to. And so we went into the room and by lunchtime, we are so happy we're there. She finds us. She goes, oh, there you are. Um, let's talk about your refund. And I'm like, no, get away from me. We don't want a refund. We're staying here. <laughs> we're having too much fun. Uh-huh. And that shift from that three days, we understood why we were in debt, how we were creating it, took responsibility that it was us creating it, no one else, because of what we learned as a child, that how to handle money, both of us coming from very poor families, and So we made some major decisions that weekend on changing our life. And we were able to take the information that we learned, start actually putting it into practice. And and this is a shocking thing, Maurice. People go, what does it take to become successful? One word, action. Actually do something. So we put into action what we learned. We didn't just put it up on the shelf and make it shelf help. We actually took it and put it into practice. And we were able to go from being over $150,000 in debt to actually being retired completely financially free nine months later when we were 32 years of age. Wow. 
Wow, nine months and a hundred fifty thousand yep. dollars. Um, so the shift was in the mind. And totally. That, yeah. Wow. So many people think that they have to do something so big in order to get out of the situation that they're in currently. But <laughs> small, small things create big rewards. Just as the opposite, you can do something small and it could create a catastrophe. You yep. can do something small and it could create the life that you really desire to be. Because uh, when I owe somebody or owe a company money, I don't feel good. But when I don't owe anybody any money, it's a totally different feeling. You know? Right? Yeah. yeah. So freedom, for sure. Yeah. So <laughs> just from you just took me to Braveheart freedom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely freedom when you, you know, uh, and especially I'm thinking about you and your wife, 150,000 and it's just gone in like nine months. I know you that gave you all confidence because something that you did created something that you wanted. So why right. not just keep this going? And here's the thing I want, because you just touched on something, Maurice, that I, and I'm glad you did because I, it really proves a point. Notice where your mind went. And this is what most of my students do. Most of the people who hear my story, this is where their mind goes. Oh, my goodness, Robert. How did you go? How did you eliminate $150,000 in debt in nine months? I didn't say I eliminated. I said I went from being 150000 in debt to being completely financially free. And let me explain mm. what that means. You see, the definition of financial freedom is when your passive income, which is money working for you instead of you having to work for money. This is money working for you, whether it's investments, whether it's a business that you're not having to run yourself. There's so many different types of passive income you can have. Mm -hmm. So the definition is when your passive income is greater than your expenses, you're financially free. Meaning mm -hmm. my wife and I, we had over $150,000 in debt and we didn't know what the heck financial freedom was. So there's no way we'd ever be financially free. We thought the only way you got money is you work your ass off for it, plain and simple. Mm -hmm. But when we understood something different, one of the biggest changes and shifts we made in our life was we looked at why we we're in debt is because as we started to get what people would perceive as success and started earning more money, we started spending more money. You've heard the saying, there's no income yes. you cannot outspend. And we were out to prove that. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so we had all the toys. We had all the instant gratification. And when we were in this training, the trainer said, look, if you really want to create financial strength and freedom in your life, you have to be willing to make the hard decisions. Start thinking long-term instead of short-term. Short-term is that instant gratification. What can I have now? Long-term is what do I really want to have my financial life be like in the future? So what am I willing to do now even though it's hard to allow me to have that. And so as an example, we had all these expenses. One was we lived, one of our stores was in a resort community in British Columbia and we, our place was on the lake. So because we're on a lake, we have to have a boat. And now of course our busy season was boating season. So we were in the store all the time, which means we couldn't even use the boat. It sat in our driveway with all the expenses. So we sold the boat. We had two cars. Well, my wife and I were working together, so we only ever used one car at a time, but we had both cars, both expenses, because that made you more successful. 
So we sold one of the vehicles. And we started making these tough decisions and dramatically reducing our expenses that we didn't need. And at the same time, we started investigating what is a passive income. And we came across two passive incomes that started producing an income nicely for us where we didn't have to now work for it. We spent time and energy setting it up, systemizing it, making sure it was working, not like it just appeared and you know, all of a sudden we had money coming in. We had to put the work behind it. But in that nine month period, as we were dramatically reducing our expenses, our passive income started to increase. And it was April 1st, you talk about Freedom Day, it, and it, how funny that was on you know, April Fool's Day. But mm -hmm. April 1st of 2002 was the day that our expenses came down enough that our passive income now surpassed it. Meaning if we didn't wanna work, we didn't have to, because we still had enough money coming in every single month to pay for our living expenses and which included servicing the debt we still have because we did still have debt, but now we had enough income coming in to pay for that debt. So we weren't wealthy. Mm -hmm. We were just barely getting by, but here's the power of this Maurice. And here's what I want people to understand for um, that's important. One of the reasons they'll sabotage their minds when going for success is they look at the big picture a thousand miles away from themselves and they try to figure out every step to get there. What you have to do is take a deep breath in, come back to where you are right now in the present and say, what's one step I can take? So here we were working 60, 70, 80 hours or more a week to earn a living. All of a sudden we create the reality that now we have enough passive income, we don't have to work. So imagine in your life right now, Maurice, if you had an extra 60, 70, or 80 hours a week just handed to you, what mm. would you do with that time? There's a lot of things you could do, right? Yes. And especially now, if you have the energy to actually do something during <laughs> that time. So my wife and I made the commitment that now that we have all this time freed up, what would happen if we took only 10 hours of that time every week and focused on creating wealth? Well, there's a universal principle that says what you focus on expands and you talk about mindset. So now we started focusing on creating wealth. And isn't it interesting how quickly wealth came into our life? And, and I want to be clear again, because I'm all about being transparent. When you look at my um, initials, RRR, Robert Raymond Realpel, I also have them with different meanings. They also stand for real, relevant, and repeatable. So when I'm teaching students, I'm going to tell them, I will keep it real. I will tell you the good. I will tell you the bad. I will tell you the ugly. I don't want you to think that my life has just been like, oh, look at that. He's just got that amazing, awesome life. I have ups and downs just like everybody else. So I have to keep it real. And so as we're you know, creating wealth and we're focusing on where we wanted to go, all of a sudden that wealth started becoming so much more easier to us because we were focused on where we wanted to go. Our mindset said, we now know what's possible, but we still had to put the work in. But imagine, now it was taking 10 hours a week of our time instead of 60, 70, 80 hours a week. Now we had more time for family. So for me, wealth is not just about money. You have to have wealth in every area of your life, the mental, the emotional, the spiritual, the physical, and if you don't, the area you don't have wealth in is the area that's going to sabotage the rest of your life. 
it's going to take you down in the other area. That's why people struggle. That's why people think, well, I finally made it here. What happened? Well, you forgot to take care of the other parts. People that go for money, 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 they wonder why they get burnt out and then they end up losing it all because they forgot to take care of their relationships. They forgot to take care of their mental, their emotional, their spiritual selves. They were just working on that physical. And I, I know I went on a bit of a kind of a tangent there, but I hope that makes sense. Yes, it made a lot of sense. Matter of fact, I'm glad you explained it that way because it's when you all made that shift in your minds, you went from an imbalanced life working 60, 70, 80 hours a week into a more balanced life, which gave you more of an expansion to be able to improve the other areas of your life by having that time to spend with family. Because when you work in 70, 80 hours a week, I know you didn't have as much time to dedicate to family as you would like in other areas of your life. And you got more wealth. So that's mm -hmm. amazing. Yeah, and, and the times when family would say, hey, let's get together. We were so tired. We were like, oh, we, we need sleep. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, we were so burnt out. We just couldn't fathom. But family, thank goodness, family is so important. And, and here's what I want. Uh, one of the messages I love your audience to understand is today, my wife and I, I could buy any boat we want. Mm -hmm. Now, we don't go out and buy a boat, but because we made the hard decisions, now if we want a boat, we go rent one and we can have a brand new boat at whatever style we need at the moment. So we've learned how to what's really important. But the lifestyle that we want to create is the lifestyle where, especially if there's a family member that is in need, we can be there. We're not worried about, well, I can't do that because I've got a job. Uh, I, I can't take that time off. My boss won't let me or my business. Uh, let's, you know, I, I'm rereading E-Myth by Michael Gerber right now. And when you look at that, most entrepreneurs, they think they're entrepreneurs, but they're not. They're solopreneurs. They're, they're, they wanted to get rid of the boss, but now that business is the boss that's taking, making their life even harder. Um, you know, and there's so many reasons behind it. I recommend that book to everybody. And so having the freedom to be able to say, you know, like I think I mentioned to you before we recorded, I have two brother-in-laws right now that are in the same hospital and both just went through major surgeries, major surgeries. And so my wife and I, we loaded up our RV because we like that glamping. And we're um, staying in the city where the hospital is. And what are we doing? We're there to support my sister-in-law. Well, they're in the hospital and they're going through what they're going through. We're there to support in any way we can. We're taking care of why one brother-in-law is a big dog. And we're, while we're there, we're just, you know, like yesterday, even with COVID, we were all at the hospital outside. They're both now able to come outside and just being there in a family space to lend that support. But how many people wish they could do something like that, but they can't because it's like, if I take a day off, I'll get fired. Or if I step away from my business, it'll go down and I'll lose it all. I, I, I just can't even think of taking that time. And that's so unfortunate. Yes, that is. And that leads us into this. What are the six steps to creating the life of your dreams? Because I know people have dreams of the life they would like to live, but through circumstances or fear, what have you, they haven't done so. Yeah. Well, step number one is to dream and not to just dream, but to actually dream big and think of it like this. And I'm going to ask you the question, Maurice, when you were a child, what was possible for you? 
What did you think was possible for you? As a child, I thought everything was possible. Exactly. See, one day I could be a truck driver. The next day I'm a <laughs> lawyer. The next day I'm a doctor. The next day I'm an astronaut. Anything and everything was possible. But then all of a sudden, we start getting older and society teaches us to be realistic. You don't have the right education. You weren't born into the right family. You, whatever it is. And we start to make our dreams smaller. And one of my favorite mentors and a great friend, Mr. Les Brown, and I love what he says. He says, it's not that we dream too big and we miss our dreams. It's that we set our goals too low and we hit them. Mm. Because that gets us playing a mediocre life. So one of the things, I, the first thing I want people to start doing is start dreaming big again. Like you are that child. Anything's possible, no matter what it is. You don't have to know how you're going to do it. You don't have to know whether it is realistic or not. Just what would you love to have? And I'm a huge believer in vision boards. And so then you put it on a vision because what visual is memorable. When you see it, when you hang it up somewhere where you see that dream every single time or every single day, multiple times a day, you start thinking of what's possible. Now, you set the dreams, but you don't, again, figure out how is it going to work. The first step is just set them. The second step is one of the ones that's really, really powerful because it's what most people don't think they can do. And that's to find a mentor or find someone to model from. Because unless you're an Elon Musk or a Jeff Bezos, chances are what you want to accomplish, someone's done it before you. So instead of trying to figure it out on your own, find the person who's accomplished what you want to have or what you want to do in your life and find out how they did it. And so people go, well, Robert, that sounds easy, but why is it so hard to do? And this is where, think about how we've been taught as kids growing up the education system. We're put in school and we're taught that figure it out on your own. Mm -hmm. Don't even think of looking at someone else's work. That's cheating. If you copy what someone else has done, that's cheating. And so for the first, how, you know, up to the 18, 19, 20, depending on what post-secondary you go into, we're taught to have to figure it out on our own. So no, no wonder when we come into the real world, and someone says, here's a system that works amazing. Just follow it and you'll have success. We look at it and we go, oh, that's great. And But in our subconscious, it goes, well, if I do that, I'm cheating. I'm a bad person. So I'm going to reinvent the wheel. I got to figure it out on my own. And then we wonder why we struggle. And in my book, yo, <laughs> I love to give people clues, Maurice. And one of the clues is this. If you're going to reinvent the wheel, do it later. Invent, reinvent it later. Use the system, get the success. And then once you've got the success, if you still want to reinvent the wheel, do it later because at least now you have the success. And a great example of that, the last part of my career for my wife and I in Domino's Pizza, we were living full-time in our RV, traveling around Canada and US, going into stores that were bankrupt or about to go bankrupt. We'd go in, we'd turn the store around and within three months maximum, we'd be able to leave that store with profits and sales going up by 100 plus percent. And people would go, you guys are brilliant. How are you doing that? And it's like, um, we went in and cut out all the stuff that was not the system that Tom Monahan, the founder of Domino's Pizza, created. And we just brought it back to the system. Like, uh, duh, <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> it's not rocket science. But 
here, here's the statistics. I gave you one earlier. Mm-hmm. The average age of a Domino's Pizza franchisee was 23. Yep, that's how old my wife and I were when we were first franchisees. But the statistic, and Domino's loved to tell people that. Mm-hmm. They loved that 95% of the um, franchisees started as drivers, worked their way up to being managers, qualified to be franchisees. So they love to really tout those um, statistics. But the one statistic that you very seldom ever heard is that the average new franchisee went bankrupt within six months of becoming a franchisee. Mm. Now, why was that? Well, see, when you're the manager, Maurice, someone else is paying all the bills. You do it their way. You follow the system. Yes. All of a sudden, I'm the franchisee. I'm the boss. Ego (laughs) kicks in. I'm going to do it my way. And all of a sudden, either you catch on quickly that your way isn't going to work and you go back to the system and you're able to keep being a franchisee or they would go bankrupt within six months because they're now paying the bills and their way didn't work. So when you find a mentor model, that's so critical. And people go, but Robert, um, what if someone says no? Or what if I don't have access to a great mentor, then you find if they've written something or created a program, you find a way. Some of the greatest mentors haven't been living for years. So you find their work, you study their work, and you really, you do whatever it takes to learn from them. This is why I love biographies. Don't just show me the end journey. Teach me the journey they went through so I can learn the ups, I can learn the downs. So that's step number two. Do Do you have any questions so far on the first two steps? No, they're good. Perfectly outlined. All right, cool. Step number three is one of the critical things that a lot of people miss. Take action. Take action. That, when I watch the biggest difference between successful people and unsuccessful people is successful people take action. And unsuccessful people, they're like, well, what if I make the wrong decision? What if I make a mistake? Then you make a mistake. You learn from it, you move forward but you keep taking action. And I believe you know, that there's no such thing as failure. It's feedback. When something didn't work, you learned what didn't work. So at least now you know what didn't work. And would you agree, Maurice, that some of the greatest lessons a person can learn comes from what didn't work in their life? Sure. Yeah. So if you're not willing to make mistakes, how are you going to learn? That's so true. you have to take action. And one of my mentors, I love his saying, he says, one step in the right direction is worth a thousand years of thinking about it. Mm. And most people are paralyzed by overthinking. So take action, take action one step at a time. Step number four, when people have success, it's because they miss step number four, why they end up sabotaging themselves, why their lives tend to go downward spiral. Everything's going great. And all of a sudden you hit that brick wall. Have you ever had that happen in your life, Maurice? Yes. Repetitive <laughs> thinking and fear. <laughs> and, and the reason is, is because people forget to celebrate. See, celebrating nurtures your inner child. So people get so caught up in achieving, 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 and they don't have time to celebrate or um, that's ego. And, and let me be clear. Everybody has ego. I don't care who you are. Yes. I don't care if you're the humblest person in the world. We all have ego. And the choice you have, the decision you have to make is, do I give my ego a way to play in a healthy way or do I suppress it 
and it comes out in a weird way that will sabotage me when I'm not expecting it. And so one of the things people go, well, Robert, when you're on stage, you're so centered and you're so present, you don't have ego. And I'm like, you're right on stage. I don't, but I do know I have an ego. So I've just found a way that allows my ego to play in a healthy way. And for me, it's video games. Like when I'm playing a video game, Maurice, if you're playing against me, you're going down. <laughs> you're going down. You know, I'm going to be in competitive mode. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I may not win, but my ego tells me I'm going to win every freaking game. <laughs> because by being in, allowing it to have that space, now when I'm on stage in front of hundreds and thousands of students, it's not about me anymore. It's about them because I can be there for them. And celebrating is what a lot of people forget to do because they think ego is a bad thing. And so when you celebrate, well, Robert, uh, when I have a big win, I'll celebrate. No, there's no such thing. It's only your mind that's made up the difference between small, medium, and large. That's it. A win is a win. A success is a success. <laughs> so one of the ways I start my day is with a success journal. I, it, when I wake up in the morning, I think about five successes I had from the previous day. And it, over the years, it's morphed from just a success journal. It's now a success and or gratitude journal. What and who am I grateful for in my life? And then I write it down and I celebrate the life I have. And it doesn't have to be huge like, oh, we're having another party at 1 p.m. Everybody show up or it's time to celebrate Robert's life. Woo! It's <laughs> like, it can be something as simple as an anchor of like, yes, fist bump you know, a high five in the air for myself, a pat on the back. I'm celebrating me because when I do that, when it's time to be a roadblock hit, it's tough. I want to give up. Mm. My celebrations come to my mind of why am I doing this? And that allows me to take one more step. So that's fourth step. The fifth step is believe in yourself. I cannot tell you how many people, and I don't, you know, one of the blessings um, from traveling around the world that I think I've received is really seeing how it doesn't matter where we come from, what part of the world, what our conditioning is, what way we were brought up. We are all the same. And we have the same crap going on between our two ears. And I, again, I don't care who you are. People go, oh, I, I, I have no self-doubt. Bullshit. Everybody does <laughs> in some form or another. Everybody does. And, uh, you know, I remember one of my a friend and mentor, um, he was known as the unknown billionaire, yeah. unknown billionaire. At one point in time, he was the 19th wealthiest man in North America. And he became a billionaire and he lost it all. Lost it all because of a bad partnership. And he ended up losing everything. And he knew he was going to rebuild it. And up until the day he passed away, what his goal was, because as a child, he suffered from such severe, you know, non-belief in himself, paralyzing non-belief because he had a cleft lip, uh, kids made fun of him. And he just, he, he, his self-worth was nothing. And so as he started to create the life he wanted and the success, he knew he wanted to empower children so that they'd have greater belief in themselves. And as he was rebuilding his wealth, big corporations would fly him all over the US 
to come in and teach their executive teams and show them how to do it and stuff like that and create culture. Every time he would go to a new city, his assistants would end up booking him into four or five schools around that city where he'd go in and talk and do free talks on believing in yourself, on empowerment. And because he knew it was a demon he had fought with all his life. And he knew if he was fighting with it, other kids were, and he wanted to be able to assist in any way he could. And it was one of the many ways that he would give back to society because we all have self-doubt in us. And so you got to find the things in you to believe in, no matter how small they seem. And, and here's, a, here's a trick for your mind. Because you, you work with the mind, Maurice. You know how powerful it is. And your mind has one job. The job of your mind is to keep you safe, to protect you, to keep you the same right where you are in a comfort zone. It does not want you to change. And so if it ever senses a change, it's going to do whatever it can to keep you from changing. Mm-hmm. And it might be a yelling in your ear like, you don't have the rights to do this. You don't have what it takes. Or to a simple little whisper, you know, remember last time you did that? Remember how you looked in front of your friends when you didn't work out? You don't want to go through that again. You don't want to be humiliated again. And your mind will, it it is the greatest manipulator of your life if you allow it to be. And so when it comes to self-esteem, the smaller your mind makes something, the more it's obviously afraid that that's the piece that's going to change your life. Now, I want to say that again. I want your listeners to get that. So the smaller something, like if you look at something, you go, oh, that was no big deal. The smaller your mind's making it, I want you to make it a bigger deal and celebrate it bigger. That's how you mess your mind up to work for you in a great way. (laughs) I'm all about messing messing my mind up. And by creating a greater self-esteem, it works into step number six, which is repeat the first five steps. <laughs> now picture because you and I are doing audio only but picture uh-huh. I've got my hand in the air and I'm going to draw a circle see when you dream big you then find that mentor model someone to model you take that action which then you celebrate the successes which allows you to have greater belief in yourself and now because you have greater belief in yourself you set bigger dreams and with bigger dreams you go after greater mentors and models you take bigger actions you have bigger celebrations which increases your belief in yourself which means you create bigger dreams and it becomes that beautiful perpetual cycle. So those are the six mm-hmm. steps. Wow, those are some great steps and steps that are actionable uh, for the people who are hearing it. And, you know, just start. You don't know, as you said, you don't have to know the way. I mean, well, not the way, but you don't have to know if it's going to uh, every step you're going to do correctly. But exactly. start. And if you mm-hmm. mess up, get back on the horse and continue riding is what it comes mm-hmm. down to. Yep, uh, absolutely. Yeah, and sabotage, when you were talking about, uh, you know, your ego, you have to have a place for it to play. You know, um, I, I know I love watching sports, and I think that's how I'm able to really satisfy that ego because, I, you know, just sports, talking about it and, you know, your team is not good. My team is good or even playing sports. <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. You have to have that play time to have that balance. You know, you do. You do. And, and one of the things that people understand is they think balance means everything's perfectly in place. And, and I, I got to tell you, that's not my experience of it. Um, I, I was when I first started as a trainer, I did my very first training on my own 
where I w- had I didn't have the support of my mentor. I had 1,200 students, Los Angeles, California, three-day weekend, 12 hours a day on stage, and I proved to myself I could do it. And I also, now that I'm tapped in my passion, I started living my passion full, full form. And for the first four and a half years, just traveling in North America alone, I was doing 40 to 50 full-on multi-day trainings a year. On average, I was only home two days a month. I was living my passion, Maurice, but the problem was is I was overliving it. Mm-hmm. And what I didn't realize is I was getting burnt out. I didn't realize I wasn't taking care of my body. I was giving out so much of me without allowing myself the time to rejuvenate that I ended up getting um, burnt out severely. And I ended up, uh, my health ended up um, herniating one of my discs, my L4, L5. So I ended up taking a year off and that year turned into three and a half years. Now, thank goodness, because, and for your listeners, the question I would ask them is, how many of you'd love to be able to take three and a half years Mm -hmm. off because money is not an issue because Mm -hmm. money's been taken care of. And I know right now your listeners are going, Oh yeah, that's me. Woo, I'm there. (laughs) Here's what I'm going to say. Careful what you wish for. Mm. You see, for me, Maurice, I went from overliving my passion, being burnt out. And because I didn't have to work for money, hadn't had to for many years, I went from overliving my passion to not living it at all, mm-hmm. which was just as bad. All of a sudden, old, negative, non-supportive habits started finding their way back into my life. And sure, I went through two back surgeries, so I had the reasons of why I couldn't come out of retirement. I had to rehabilitate. I had to get my health back. I had all these reasons that my mind was telling me, but my life was going in a deep spiral. And from one event that taught me that I better step back up and live my passion, which is to teach, or else that passion can be, that gift can be taken away in an instant. Also, when I made the decision that I had to start training again, not because of the money, but because of it was my passion, it's my gift, if that makes sense. All of a sudden, I looked at it and went, okay, overliving passion, bad. Not living passion at all, bad. What would balance look like? which comes back to that point. It's not perfectly balanced. Everything's in line. We're always changing. And right now I have both my hands kind of opposite directions going up and down because that's how life flows. To me, balance is ever adjusting, always making those adjustments. So when I came out of retirement, I said, I will only do 20 trainings a year maximum, no matter where in the world I'm doing the training. That way, even with all the travel, I still have six months a year off my time and right now i know your listeners are going six months a year off that would be heaven (laughs) and i like my time off maurice let me be clear i like my time off and so when i came out of retirement in 2012 for the next eight years i on average was flying 200,000 miles a year around the world doing trainings but i still had six months a year at home doing whatever i wanted to do to have that balance in my life Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great balance. Definitely great balance. So you uh, touched on uh, something from your book, uh, which is uh, entitled Success Left a Clue. Uh, Where can people get your book? Yeah, I would love actually as a gift to them. uh, They can download the ebook as mine and your gift for them listening to this podcast is if they go to S-L-A-C, which stands for success left a clue. <laughs> so S-L-A-C dot rocks, R-O-C-K-S, forward slash book. So 
flac.rocks forward slash book, they can actually get my ebook, the version of it for free. And what I will tell them though, Maurice, it's not a book to just read. I set it up as a workbook because I've got to live what I'm teaching. And step number three is take action. And most people don't. That's why they don't succeed. So in the book, every um, time I teach them something new, I give them an action step to take. And I ask them, do not keep reading until you've done the action step. So use it as a workbook to actually create the life right now that you truly want to have. Great. Great. Thank you for that free gift. Um, I know it's going to just be so beneficial for everyone in the future. So I know it's been beneficial for everyone who's already read it and uh, working through that book uh, for your life that you've given. So you've given us so much good information. Um, and I know we are only touching the tip of the iceberg, but, <laughs> <laughs> but what is your one to grow on? What valuable piece of information would you like to leave our audience with? What something I fought with all my life, being a people pleaser, not thinking I'm good enough. So the, what I'd love to leave your audience with is always be you. I believe the greatest gift you can give this world is to show up for who you are, whatever that looks like. Because one of two things is always happening. Either people are going to like you or they're not. And if they like you for who they are, for who you are, awesome. If they don't, awesome. Thank you for listening to The New Mind Creator Podcast with your host, Maurice, The New Mind Creator. This podcast has been sponsored by Abundant Sports and True Serum. Head over to www.mauriceflornary.com to receive more motivation and insight to help create your new mind.